men and women's nervous systems have evolved. Um, but yes, to ask a man to stay in the room when he is physiologically flooded is really ineffective and it's just going to result in more and more fighting. to another episode of Dear Men. I'm really excited about this topic because I think this is something that we don't really talk about enough. And I'm excited to kind of bring it to light and hear anyone's experiences who can resonate with it. Um, I have with me today on the podcast, Brooke Bergman, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist and relationship coach. She works with both couples and individuals. And I'm really excited to have you on, Brooke, because what we're talking about is talk therapy for men. (laughs) Does it always work? Does it? (laughs) Thanks for being on with me. Oh, I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Melanie. Yeah. So um, let's just kind of dive in because this is something we were chatting about the other day and I really felt like would be relevant to my audience, which is that if we're being really honest, talk therapy doesn't always work for men. And I think there's been some shaming of men around this topic. And we're going to talk about sort of things that might work better. But I'm just curious in your experience, what what has been your experience in terms of talk therapy not really working for men? Yeah, uh, gosh, I could say so much about this. But the first thing I'll say is that you know, whenever I get a call for couples counseling, um, I mean, this is not a hard statistic, but I would say that nine out of 10 times, it is the woman who is reaching out. Um, Men typically do not reach out to me for therapy um, for for their relationship. And I think that this is related to a couple of things, but the number one thing that I see is that a lot of couples therapy in the past has been um, aimed at kind of training men to communicate like women. Um, well and, I, said. <laughs> and, and I really don't think that a lot of traditional couples work has respected uh, the different ways that men are communicating with their wives and their partners. And there's a lot of, um, yeah, it's just what I said, that there's a lot of effort into actually training men to communicate like women. And obviously men are going to be resistant to that idea (laughs) for good reason. Yeah. I'm curious when you say like training men to communicate more like women, like what's an example of what that would sound like? Um, okay. So for example, the, the sort of traditional, um, technique is training couples to use I statements. You know, I feel this when you blank, right. And I think the intention is good that, that we're using, we're training men to be very verbal. Um, and, and that's a good 
thing, but really that's how women communicate with each other. You know, we talk to each other and say, Hey, I feel this when you do that. Right. And then we can go on and on and on. Um, but if you watch men and how they communicate to each other, it is much more nonverbal. It is much more through play and it is much more through their bodies um, than it is verbal. Women use about twice as many words as men do uh, per day. (laughs) And so I think that if if we're asking men to be more verbal, that that is inherently asking them to be more feminine. Yeah, that's a really good point because I think <laughs> there's <laughs> endless misunderstandings between <laughs> the masculine and the feminine. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole just endless topic. Um, but I really, I think it's true. Like a lot of the sort of assumption, like, I don't know if you know Alison Armstrong, but she says, uh-huh. a man is not a big hairy woman. He's actually right. not a big hairy woman and he's not going to sound like a woman. Right. And, um, and, you know, in my experience, a lot of, a lot of therapists are women too. Yes. Do you think that that plays a role in terms of like, I don't know, engagement or communication or sort of the assumption of how a man should communicate? Yes, I do. Uh, the, the statistics on how many therapists are women, it's about two thirds to 75%. Um, I can count on one hand, uh, the number of male therapists I know. <laughs> um, and so they're really there. I think their voice is missing in this conversation and the male therapists that I do know that are also excellent. Um, we'll talk about this very issue actually. And they'll talk about how, you know, a lot of men feel feminized in therapy. And I really think that that just does a disservice to both men and women and couples work and not bridging the gap in understanding the differences and also honoring the differences. You know, a lot of times when I'm working, um, with either couples or, um, you know, just the woman by herself, because I do a lot of work with uh, individual women, they'll say, well, I just don't like it, you know, when he does this and this and this, and I want him to do more of this. And I'll say to them, you know, let's look for the ways in which your man is already doing some of the things that you like. And how can you encourage more of that behavior non-verbally? You know, I like um, that. Do you have a concrete example of one thing that like a client has, has done this with? Um, gosh, yeah. Let me think. Um, so for example, well, I'll just speak about myself. (laughs) Um, so in my uh, relationship, I just make sure to always, um, like physically, show with my body how happy I am with my man when he does certain things that I like. Um, So, and that could just be like making sure to touch him in the ways that he likes to be touched. And I don't mean sexual touch, uh, you know, men, we, we say that they're super, you know, they're all about the sex, but they enjoy non-sexual intimate touch just as much as we do. Um, And again, that goes back to the nonverbal the nonverbal body language. And so I just try to um, do that as much as I can. And then I encourage my clients to do the same. Um, because, because is this, is this like, 
you know, like, I'm curious what a lot of, like, what's a pattern that women are coming in saying, man, I wish he would mm-hmm. praise me more. I wish he would sure. do the dishes more. I wish he would, like, what are the common things that women are saying? Like, I wish my man would do this more. But, a lot of the things that I hear them saying is I wish he would listen more. I wish he would understand more. I wish he would talk more. I wish he could um, just connect more. Um, and, And I think that for women, they're longing for that connection with their man, but they're longing for the type of connection that they have with their girlfriends. And so a lot of times I'll coach women, you know, to sort of differentiate like, okay, there's female connection and then there's there's male connection and it's going to feel and look different. And are you looking to your man to give you what you have with your girlfriends? Um, and yeah. And, um, but what I will say to them is that he's actually longing to give you what you want. And this is something that I think you and I have connected on. I know you talk to men a lot about sex and I think that emotionally men are also begging to give us what we want. It's just that we don't know how to ask for what we want in a way that's clear and, or that respects the masculine nervous system. Yeah. Can you say a little bit more about that, about the masculine nervous system? Because (laughs) what I'm hearing is, because it's also not always, um, incorrect, right? Like there, Mm -hmm. there is a way that the couple does, you know, that more connection between them would be helpful. Mm-hmm. What you're pointing to is that connection doesn't always have to look like words. Right. That's what I think it sounds like from what I'm hearing is that a lot of women are coming in saying like, I wish I had more words from him or I mm-hmm. wish he was to me more closely. And right. That we women feel like someone is listening is like they're deeply listening. And then they're asking us a follow-up question. And right. How we feel about that. And they're, they're like, eliciting that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, some of that is, is needed right in a relationship, but maybe not to the same extent that we have with our girlfriends. Yeah. I think what women are wanting is to be seen and to be heard. And I think that they're looking for their man to give that to them in a way, like we said, like that their girlfriends do. So, okay, but I kind of want to transition to the the original question that you had asked about the male nervous system, Um, because I think that it bears, it's worth saying that men are trained or they have evolved to be very sensitive to what women are feeling. And when we are activated emotionally, they are also very activated. In fact, there's some interesting research that's been done by Dr. John Gottman, who's the the marriage research guru, who says that when, so when couples are fighting, okay, um, the, the man's heart rate and blood pressure is skyrocketing. Okay. So when a woman is talking to him in an upset tone of voice, he, his nervous system is going crazy with information. Um, but hers is not. Okay. So this is where it gets really interesting. So 
men will often need to leave a conversation because they're getting physiologically flooded. And the moment a man leaves the conversation because he's getting flooded, his fight or flight is being activated, um, is usually then the moment when the woman's nervous system gets activated. So it's almost like a reverse thing. So the moment the man leaves the conversation because he's getting flooded, right? That is when her blood pressure, heart rate, physiology starts going up. That's when her fight or flight actually gets activated. So her fight or flight is not necessarily activated during the conflict, but a man's is. And so his blood pressure goes down the moment he leaves the conversation. I see. So she says, God, I wish we talked more. I feel like we never talk anymore. I feel like it's just, it's just, there's nothing happening. Like, I just don't feel like we connect anymore. And she's not actually that upset physiologically. Right. He is very upset now. Yes. He is, she is expressing discontent. Yes. And he gets flooded. Like his heart rate goes up. Mm-hmm. He gets skin flush. There's a lot of things happening with him. He leaves the room to mm-hmm. the feeling of being flooded. And now she feels abandoned. Yep. Understood. She feels angry. She feels like he's avoiding the conversation and, and we're off to the races. <laughs> yep. We're off to the races. That's, that's exactly how it goes down. And so I think the advice or the, the coaching that is offered to both men and women is sort of twofold, right? To, to the men, I will say, hey, you just need to tell her, I love you. I just need a break. I'm coming back. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know, um, because a lot of times he just kind of bails, right? And he's not even aware of what's happening for him. So there is some verbal, you know, I want, I want men to be able to verbalize some. Um, but then I also want women to res- have a little bit of respect for the fact that a man is evolutionarily primed to go into fight or flight when you're upset because he's going to try to fight off the whatever threat is coming in, right? If we think about, you know, ancient man and woman, and she's, you know, she's sort of sounding the alarm, so to speak. And then the man's, you know, sort of role from a historical perspective has been to sort of fight off whatever threat was coming. And so that's why his physiology gets activated when she is sounding some type of alarm. Yeah, and her system gets activated when he leaves because if she's abandoned by that protector and mm-hmm. she's pregnant and there's a saber-toothed tiger, she's... Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So I, I think that it's just helpful for us to have some type of understanding of what's happening and that, you know, our nervous systems have evolved in this certain way. It's just that we're no longer fighting saber-toothed tigers anymore. <laughs> sure. Now we've... Yeah. Um, now we're doing this thing where I think couples get locked into this dance because they're seeing the other person as the saber-toothed tiger. Absolutely. I mean, that's yeah. exactly <laughs> what we do. Like, we totally see, them, see that person as, as the enemy or, like, as the person that is withholding love from us. Right, like, oh, right. It's on purpose to hurt me, to, you know, take away the love and affection I need. Mm-hmm. I hate you. <laughs> right. <laughs> and right. I hate you as a threat to my yes. wife. Yes. Okay, so, all right. So, 
I guess the difference between, let's say the talk therapy we're talking about, which is like, you know, not just because there's a difference between a man saying, I love you. I need some space. I need some time. Mm-hmm. I'll be back. Mm-hmm. And the situation versus coaching him or the, or therapizing him such that it's like, stay in the room, start to tell her how you feel, you know, like that's right. what we're saying is like not necessarily effective because at that point in time, he can't do that. Like he doesn't, is that, is that kind of true? That's, that's exactly accurate that I think that we have, um, in the past, and I think therapists are getting better at this now, um, where we're, we are beginning to respect the different ways that, um, men's and men and women's nervous systems have evolved. Um, but yes, to ask a man to stay in the room when he is physiologically flooded is really ineffective and it's just going to result in more and more fighting. Okay. So I'm, so let's pretend that one of the guys listening has had this experience. Like he has gotten flooded. Right. Right. So what does he do? Like, what is his, so his woman is like, oh, I feel like we never, we never connect anymore. Like you're never around, whatever she's saying. Mm-hmm. He, mm-hmm. he says like, babe, I love you. I'm going to be back, but I need to take a break. And then he exits the situation. What mm-hmm. can he do to kind of help himself not be flooded anymore? And then how does this couple um, actually talk about this subject without, you know, going into fight or flight? Sure. I mean, so you, you and I both know that really this takes, um, a lot of nervous system training, right? Um, but it also comes from men really understanding their personal history with women. Um, you know, that they might have a history of women in their past, um, actually meaning to do them harm, right? And so the fight or flight is not necessarily totally off base. Um, You know, a lot of men have been in relationships with women who are verbally and emotionally and physically aggressive with them when they are upset. Um, And so so some of this is a trauma response that men need to need to work through um, physiologically and through men's groups and um, and with just with a professional who knows how to help them work through things som- somatically. Yes. What I would, yeah. Perhaps individually, because what you're pointing to mm-hmm. is not necessarily with that man's partner, but right. someone from that man's partner. And yeah. I want to I also just corroborate, like many of my male clients have been with women who have hit them or yes. things at them or screamed yes. at them. And, and that is abusive. Yes. I gender you identify with that is abuse. Correct. And I, I, so I just also want to mention that I also, so I do my, my individual private practice, but I also, uh, for a lot of years, have worked at various um, substance abuse and mental health intensive treatment facilities. And we have a high percentage of men coming in with substance abuse issues. And I cannot tell you the amount of men that I have worked with that will tell me stories of women that have seriously abused them. And, and I think that we have a problem in our culture where we're really not talking about that part of the equation. Yeah. And we, Uh, you know, 
I mean, if you look at the statistics, violence against women is radically higher than violence against men, but that doesn't mean that it's not just as important. Correct. Like a lot of times, like I come from the background of supporting victims of sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. You know, the statistic is that it's one in three girls, but it's also one in six boys. Right. Under the age of 18. That's a shitload of boys that become like that. Like, like, oh, you know, it's double for women, that statistic. Right. But it's also like um, ridiculously high. That's still ridiculously high. So yeah, to validate, like, yes, it's true. Absolutely. Violence against women is much higher in the U S and all over the world and violence against men still happens. And there's so much more shame around it and so yes. much secrecy and hiding and just, yeah, like it's such a vulnerable topic in a way that I think it's, it's more normalized for women. Mm-hmm. And so it's not, that sort of added layer isn't there. Right. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the shame piece because I definitely see a lot of men really sort of saying, well, no, it wasn't that bad. Or, I mean, you really hear them say sort of the classic things that we hear from women, you know, well, you know, I did this or it was sort of my fault or, um, you know, all these various things or I was just quiet. I don't hit a woman, you know, but it is, it is flat out abuse. And, um, I, I, every day in my practice, I have to tell at least one man that was abusive behavior on her part. And that was absolutely not okay. You know? And so, um, I just, it breaks my heart to hear their stories because I see so many men really just wanting to be good boyfriends, husbands, fathers, friends, and, um, and they really want to do it, but they just have been told, you know, just that it's their fault and it's all all these things. And I just want to empower men to say, you know, it's okay to say I'm flooded. I need to take a break. And yeah, like you mentioned the individual work, I think for men who have a history of abuse or trauma in their um, relationships, the individual work can be really, really helpful. Um, And it might not be best to do couples work. It might be contraindicated in that situation. Yes. um, Because it's going to be too triggering. Right. Contraindicated means for the lay person, like yeah. it might make it worse. Like yes. CLDR. Yeah. 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 Excuse me. Yeah. Contraindicated just means, um, you know, that for some couples, if there's history of trauma or abuse, the couple's work can actually trigger more of that instead of healing the trauma in in an individual uh, setting and then being able to return to the relationship sort of with clearer eyes because a lot of times there's a projection happening, right? Because of past experiences, um, you know, a man might be projecting onto his female partner all kinds of stuff from prior relationships that aren't actually there. Um, now then I work because I have mostly women in my practice, I work with, uh, the female partner to make it safer for their man, you know, to give him breaks, to try to see where he is working hard, to try to see where he's, um, 
succeeding and to encourage that and to applaud that and to not, you know, because some women get stuck in this, uh, well, I don't want to applaud him. I'm just so angry and hurt, you know, and a lot of times healing both individually and between a couple takes a lot of laying aside of the ego. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. And I'm curious, have you ever worked with a couple where you you said to them, look, I think each of you needs to get some individual help? Like, have you ever sort of called it in terms of this isn't necessarily the most productive thing we could be doing? Or what does that look like? Yeah, I do. Um, It really depends on the couple, but I have made that recommendation many times throughout my career um, where it just is much better for them to do individual work before they come together. Um, And there's a lot of research on the ability to self-soothe that that's actually one of the number one skills that Dr. Gottman talks about in the successful couples is that each person is able to self-soothe no matter what their partner is doing, right? They're able to say, I need a break. I'll come back and then be able to walk away kind of no matter what their partner is doing. Which is kind of another way of talking about boundaries. (laughs) It is. It is another way of talking about boundaries. Because to feel safe enough with someone and within yourself to say, I need a break, not, is it okay if I take a break? Can I take a break? But like, I need a break. Right. I'm coming back and I need a break is asserting a boundary. This is what I need right now based on what's happening in my body. Right. Yeah. And I think like you just said, some people will say, well, can I take a break? And it's like, well, that you're, (laughs) you're already abdicating, you know, your own sovereignty, so to speak. And that is not helpful uh, either for yourself or the relationship. And that's the whole, um, you know, because a lot of us never really individuated from our parents Mm -hmm. or relating to our partner as an angry parent or a withhold parent or whatever the parent is. And so you can even hear it in the, well, can I take a break? Like (laughs) languaging versus like, I need a break. Will you feel safe if I go away for 10 minutes and do some breathing? Can I come back after that and have you still feel safe? Right. It's a different way of asking. It's not sort of like permission, but it's more like, here are my needs. What are your needs? Let's right. out. It's yeah. just a different sort of energy. It is a very different energy. And I think that um, what I would say to men is that women actually want to see you setting boundaries for yourself. Um, I think that there are a lot of, I was listening to one of your prior episodes about the uh, Mr. Nice guy, (laughs) you know, and, and I actually think that women are looking for a healthy male partner to say, I need this. And that actually, ironically, um, can calm the woman's nervous system down as well, because then he is taking some leadership and ownership. He's not projecting. He's not blaming. He's not playing games. There's no manipulation happening. He's just saying, I need this. And then being strong enough to walk away, even if she's elevated or activated, um, is actually 
calming for them. They may not say so in that moment. I mean, depending on the history of the female partner, right? If she's got a history of abandonment, you know, that might activate her initially, but it's also going to trigger her to grow. Yeah. It reminds me of a story (laughs) my stepmom told me once about my dad Hmm. arguing about something and, and he did exactly this. He was like, I love you and I'll be back. Can't do this Mm -hmm. right now. And he like shut the bedroom door and she was like, (laughs) and like had this whole response, but she was like, also, I respected that. I really respected that. I was like, I get that because we're not actually solving this. We're just going in a circle right now. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, I could see (laughs) see that response. And he did, you know, eventually come back and she was a lot calmer. Mm -hmm. She also, you know, didn't have borderline personality disorder. She (laughs) She wasn't, uh, she didn't have a personality disorder. So right. other factors that can be involved, but in that particular circumstance, I think that's a good example of she actually felt safer because yes. he exited gracefully. He didn't slam the door. He didn't mm-hmm. shame her on his way out. He was like, I love you. I'm going to, I'm going to leave for a while. And then like, shut the door. I'm going to, right. I'll be back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know what you, you brought up something that, um, we've kind of touched on a little bit here and there is, and that's the personality disorder. And, um, one thing that is tough, and this is why individual work is sometimes indicated is because sometimes one member of the partnership might have, um, we would call them characterological issues. <laughs> that Which is a fancy way of saying <laughs> issues. Yes. Well, that prevent growth, you know, and and this is where this is why that individual work is super important because the more you set boundaries, um, if you're with a healthy partner, they're gonna respect you more they're going to respect you. The connection is actually going to deepen because even if they're uncomfortable and they don't really like it per se, um, the connection is going to deepen because they're seeing the true you, right? They're not seeing like, this, oh, I love that. yeah, they're not seeing the, the strange, like, uh, you know, people pleasing part of you that just like kind of wants to try to keep you calm at all costs at, my, at the cost of myself. Um, you know, and so that, that piece is super important to say, because some people are perhaps in relationships and they try to do all these things that therapists and coaches have told them to do, and it still doesn't work and, or their partner gets worse. And right. that's, <laughs> and your partner is getting worse. That right. Right. A personality disorder. Right. That's either a personality disorder or somebody who just can't or won't grow. Right. And, and it's tough. Like it's really tough, but that's why that individual work is super important. And it, the thing is, is that, um, it doesn't prevent connection. It increases connection with a healthy partner. Um, and so if it's, if it's killing the connection, then that's a good indicator that the person you're with might not be capable of intimacy, which then you're left, you know, it's like, okay, cool. Like now I know at least. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whereas before, maybe you didn't know. Yeah, I was so busy playing games. One of my friends was a couples, she was a therapist in uh, on the East Coast and she was taking a training on this couple's 
counseling method that was sort of like, it was a prescribed six or eight sessions. And Mm -hmm. the point of it was sort of like to evaluate in those six or eight sessions, should you be together? Mm -hmm. Right. So instead of like, we're going to fix any issue you have, it was sort of like acknowledging like sometimes couples aren't going to work out. Sometimes it's actually in your highest good or your partner's highest good to be in this relationship. You know, if you, like you said, if you're with a partner that's not willing to grow, you can't grow. (laughs) That's that's not good. Like life, life is calling for this, you know, this thing and it's not, it's not going to happen with this person. So it's not always like make any relationship work at any cost, you know, art to knowing when to stay and when to let something go. Yeah. So we talked about a few things that can help. Um, I guess I'm, I'm just wondering since we're sort of discussing like talk therapy isn't always the answer for men. I was just wondering like, what else have you seen be supportive to men in particular? Yeah, I think there are a lot of things for men. I'm seeing a lot of um, men's groups popping up that I think are really great that are centered around um, physical activity, but also about, um, deepening their relationships and deepening their commitment to their partners and to their family life and, and to their work, right? This is another thing that I think a lot of men don't recognize is how connected their love life is to their work life. Um, and I have seen countless men's businesses improve drastically when when they make a commitment to their love life. Oh my God. We're going to have a separate episode about that. I'm <laughs> literally riveted right now. Like I want to know all about that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Let's do, let's do something about that. Cause I think that's really interesting. Well, it is. So I, I do some consulting work with a, a company that specifically does that works with entrepreneurs in helping them understand that, you know, their home life is, intimately connected to their work life, you know, and that, that men have a tendency to compartmentalize. And so if we can, if we can help them understand that one thing affects the other, then, then it's a success. And so men's groups, um, any type of physical practice that's not based on how you look, because that's one thing that, you know, I think, um, there's a lot of like lifting weights and lifting weights is fine um, as long as it's mindful, right? Like I see a lot of men, <laughs> my partner has this funny saying, he calls it focusing on glamour muscles. <laughs> yeah, like biceps. <laughs> right. And, you know, women don't care, like the healthy ones, just we, we don't care. Um, and so, so men's groups that are focused on the whole person, um, I would say, uh, any kind of yogic practice for men is really good. A lot of the somatic therapies, um, like, yes. yeah, like you've mentioned, um, the, the spinal therapy that you, yeah, yeah. That you do. Right. I get network spinal analysis, which I mm-hmm. definitely recommend. Um, but we've had multiple men in our coaching program <clears throat> get, um, EMDR yes, and somatic experiencing mm-hmm. have been very effective. You know, we have a lot of, um, I would say a lot of the men in our program 
have a trauma background. Mm-hmm. And I think more men have one than they realize. Yeah. You know, I think we sort of have this idea of a trauma background as something extremely dramatic. And yes, of course, that is, you know, traumatic, but it can also be traumatic to have cold parents. Yes. Don't actually pay attention to you. That's traumatic for your system as you're growing, Mm -hmm. especially if you're sensitive at all. And a Mm -hmm. lot of the men that I work with, I think are pretty sensitive, Yeah, uh, loving and caring and um, want to connect. And so to have that deprivation, to not have that growing up is is traumatic and requires some unwinding from in order to kind of relate in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. Um, Loss also, like loss of a parent Mm -hmm. um, trigger trauma. So there's a lot of things that can trigger trauma, but I would, yeah, just give that another shout out is sort of like, rather than, for example, traditional talk therapy, couple sessions that, you know, feel like they're not working. (laughs) It might be more effective to do one-on-one somatic therapy. That's very, very effective. And you can see pretty quick results Mm -hmm. um, rather than sort of talk therapy can take a really long time um, to produce results depending on the person. Um, And then just a quick shout out for the men's groups, like you mentioned, you know, Jason Lang, who I run our Pillars of Presence program with, he has drop-in men's groups in the LA area. So if you are a man in the Southern California area, I would highly recommend that it's every other Monday and there's info on his site, evolutionary.men. Um, the mankind project is also national. They exist all over the U S and I think they're also international. I'm not quite sure. And they do regular men's retreats and then they have some follow-up like men's, uh, men's group type things that you can participate in. Yeah. Those are all things that I would highly recommend uh, to men. I think that there's a longing in a lot of men these days to connect to that, the warrior inside that lover inside. I I have a, a Jungian therapy book that talks about the King warrior magician and the lover. And those are all healthy adult male archetypes to live into. I think we have a lot of little boy psychology. Um, The Peter Pan syndrome, we have a lot of little boys running around who've been traumatized and they really want to grow into the men that they long to be, but I think they, they need other men to kind of help them do that. And so those men's groups are really helpful. Yeah, And just to like bring that full circle is that Mm -hmm. when like men, I think in our culture are particularly vulnerable to loneliness, mm-hmm. so many lonely men. And so when there's chaos or there's disconnection in their love relationship, they feel really alone. Like they do depend and they rely on that love relationship for so much of their emotional support, their physical touch needs, uh, you know, they're like, you know, talking it through with someone stuff. Like there's a lot of pressure on that one relationship. And that it really helps when that man has a tribe of men that he also feels supported by so that he doesn't need to get all of his needs met from his woman because that, that isn't actually sustainable. And I feel like that has like almost de facto become the model of relationship in our culture. And I think that really needs to change. So if you are having trouble in your relationship, it actually helps dramatically to have like actual strong, like these guys have my back kind of support outside of the relationship. They're connected. 
Yeah. I mean, huge. You touched on the male loneliness and I, I 100% concur. I mean, suicide rates are huge for men. The loneliness rates for men are pretty staggering when you look at them. Um, and yeah, to go back to your point of the, the different somatic therapies, I think anything that men can do to work out the idea that, um, you know, women are unsafe and that I'm unable to care for them. I think that's a big, um, inadequacy piece for men that I want, I want them to unlearn, you know, that, that they are loving, capable, hugely, um, just beneficial, wonderful parts of our lives. And I just, I, oh gosh, yeah, I could, sorry, I'm like having a moment. I'm looking at my, I'm actually looking at a picture of uh, my fiance with our two girls right now. And I, I sort of got um, just all all gooey, gooey in my heart, just thinking about him and just how much he brings to the table. And um, I just want, I, I think men need to just realize that they, they bring that, you know? Um, yeah. So I just, I hope that for them. Yeah. That they are sacred. And oh, they're so sacred. And yes. And that we, we worship them and we need them and we love them. And that, but I think that for a lot of women, the issue is that, you know, we've been hurt too. We have our own, trauma histories. We have our own baggage that we bring to the table. And so, you know, we, we all need to do our work, right? And that's, that's why yeah. you and I are in the business that we're in is trying to help people engage in that work so that we can all love and live more freely. And thrive. Yeah. Really thrive. Cause I, I see that in a lot of my clients, I, it feels like a lot of the men that I start working with are like kind of getting along right? Mm-hmm. Before, and then after they're thriving. And there's really a difference between kind of getting through the day and living. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, this is a great uh, sort of ending point. Um, can you give us a little info about uh, who you are, who you work with, how to find you, things like that. Sure. Yeah. So, um, right now they, people can find me on my website, brookbergman.com and they can just reach out to me. I'm also working at a, um, an adolescent and young adult treatment facility. We work with uh, mental health and dual diagnosis issues and it's called OC revive. So those are my two, two places right now. I'm also doing some consulting work with zenfounder.com. So you can find me in those three avenues. And that, I think it will be the other episode that we do about the <laughs> love life thing. I'm going oh, yeah. to, to talk about that. So stay tuned for that. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Just again, a quick note. If you're interested in the course, you can find it at pleaseherinbed.com www.pleaseherinbed.com or at my site, melaniecurtain.com under courses and have a very sexy day.